This week on Writers Inc. But if you're, if I were to just say, I'm going to sit down and write a story, and then put my fingers on the keyboards, because I am not someone who just writes a story, I would probably say, oh, I have writer's block because that's a thing. I've heard that's a thing, so let me say that. And other people go, yeah, that's a thing. However, um, I have found that preparation. Um, meets opportunity when we would call that luck. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. What's new this week, J.D.? I am doing a ton of foreign press, um, but, and I'm trying really hard to not say, um, <laughs> I, I'm still doing it. I've actually got a little post-it note on my monitor right now to try and get me to, to stop doing it. And like, I'm finding that I, I do it even more when I'm doing foreign press because you have to pause for the translators and like, I, I tend to talk slower for them, which is good, but then I'm throwing more of those kind of things in there. Uh, tra- translators, I mean, for, I, I put a tweet out there, but like, serious props to those guys because somehow I I can rattle for like five minutes and they will translate it into the right language and like they've got their arms flaring and like they're like getting all emotional all into it um and and they and they can you know translate this information and get it across like perfectly and vice versa you know the questions and stuff coming in um where I have trouble is like you know sometimes I get like a two or three part question so like somebody will ask a question in Spanish like um you know two or three questions and then the translator translates them and then I start rattling off my answer and like by the time I get to the second one I can't remember what the third one was but I'm doing a ton of that right now, which is really cool. Um, and it's all online, which I, I honestly, I kind of like better because in the past, yeah. I, you know, I had to go to some of these places and it's really cool to go to, you know, a foreign country and do press for a book. But, you know, it, it's, it, it gets old after a while because you're, you're literally rushed. You know, you, you get off a plane, you get in a car, you go to the hotel, you do your press, you go to a bookstore, you get back on a plane, you go and do something else and you do something else, you do something else and you don't get to enjoy any of these places. You know, so Paris looks exactly the same as going to, um, I was going to say downtown Cleveland, but that's <laughs> It's like not your quite. backyard. <laughs> yeah, not quite Cleveland, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm mean, yeah. like when I when I worked in the music industry, like the bands used to put nut, you know, like a, a piece of paper on the back of the curtain, or like before they got on stage, just let them know where they were. Yeah, um, I knew a bass player who used to write it on the, the side, the edge of his bass, you know, so he understood <laughs> where he was every day with a little piece of masking tape. Um, but yeah, the, the, those guys are awesome. But everything seems to be switching to the to um the you know Skype and Zoom and go to meeting, and it's really cool because I'm getting to sit down. Like I just did one the other day with there must have been 50 reporters from Spain all on one uh, Skype session or uh, go to meeting session, um, which which is very nice, you know, because you don't get the same question over and over again. You know, they only ask it once, and you just get to get that message out to a lot of different people and never have to actually leave my house, which is very cool. Yeah, that is. Is that are these interviews for like uh, more traditional media? Like, are they taking the footage or the recording and then, and then pushing it out into newspapers and television shows or how, how, what are they doing with it? You know, what I'm finding now is that that's actually, it's changed because when I first did this, you know, for Forsaken and the fourth monkey, it was, yeah, I I did it, but it was primarily newspapers and it was magazines and it was radio and and TV and and things like that. Um, There are a lot of bloggers now that are in the mix. And and it seems like each time I've got a book out, there's more and more of that. So I think they're finally realizing that, you know, that that community is is very important Um, in a lot of ways more so. I mean, I've talked about this before, but, you know, if you can get the best write up in the world in the New York Times and then you send that link to all your readers and they click on that link and they end up hitting a paywall, you know, so they can't even read the story. You know, some blogger from the middle of nowhere, you know, can write up a story and they put it out on their blog and, you know, they mention it on Instagram, they put it out on Facebook, they promote it for you, which is, which is awesome. And then it starts showing up in Google search results and it's, it's got more of a reach and, and I've seen it in sales, you know, like big newspapers have interviewed me before and I've seen bigger sales numbers after the fact with bloggers sometimes than I have with, with big newspapers. But, but now the traditional publishers are finally going, you know, those guys might be onto something yeah. and they're, <laughs> they're starting to include them in the mix, which is very cool to see. Yeah, that's what I was observing too. Like I, I have this sense that the traditional publishers are now 
uh, just discovering the power of both blogs and podcasting. Like I, I'm seeing a lot more uh, open responses and um, willingness to get you know people on podcasts, whereas before that was kind of seen as an indie thing. Well, and they've, they've got to dig a little bit too, because I, I just sent a list of probably about a hundred people that requested a copy of this latest book with Patterson. Um, and they, they wanted uh, the NetGalley version and the publisher has to go in and they have to, you know, either approve or deny each of those people. And probably about half that list, they don't even have blogs anymore. They just have an Instagram account. But if you go to that Instagram account, they've got 50 to a hundred thousand followers, yeah. you know, so it's not, it, you have, somebody has to make that judgment call and it's not as obvious as it used to be. So somebody has to take the time to actually drill down and look. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's really cool to see people, you know, creating these platforms literally out of nothing, you know, and, and developing a following and, and helping to promote, you know, things that they love, whether it's clothing or books or food or whatever. Um, but it just, I, I love seeing all the, the new voices out there and, and the, just the, the volume of them. Yeah. And that's the difference between uh, like the billboard approach, which is sort of what traditional media is, right? Newspapers, radio, you're just playing the numbers. You're trying to get as much exposure as you can, and, and you're hoping you get a half a percent or three quarters of a percent of the people who see your message do something with it. Whereas mm -hmm. the bloggers and the podcasters have a much, much smaller reach, but their, their reach are to people who really like what they're doing and who are into the kind of stuff that they're reviewing and talking about. So it is a, it's a completely different game now. Yeah, but it, it's very targeted, which is right. which is cool. I mean, versus like we were, you were saying, the billboard approach. And speaking of targeted, I just found out that people are bidding like a dollar to two dollars for for my name on Amazon ads. <laughs> like I, I I don't get that. Um, you know, I could see maybe doing that for for the bigger names, but you know, if if, if somebody you know, because somebody might go to let's say Stephen King, they just type it in on the search box, and they they see the list of the also bots or the you know people bought this or whatever the other stuff that's there. There's a good chance they might buy one of those other titles. But I'm, I'm not that kind of level. So if somebody is going to Amazon and they're typing in J.D. Barker in the search box, they're specifically looking for a J.D. Barker book. You know, you're not going to really sway them. So I don't get why people would pay that much. And I, and I heard uh, Mark Dawson talking about the same thing. I guess people are doing that to him. And I started drilling down and talking to other friends. And, and apparently it's a thing. Um, people are, you know, finding mid-listers or, or, you know, authors that they just feel are selling well. And they're just bidding for those those names. And to me, that feels like throwing money out the window. But you know, maybe, maybe it's working. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get a better handle on, you know, my overall understanding of Amazon and Facebook ads. And, and that seems to be a strategy. A lot of people are trying. I just don't know how effective it is. Yeah. I, I never thought you'd find out I was bidding that high for your name, but I guess you did. <laughs> I, I, I just don't get it. And, and if you're selling like a, a $3 book, you know, like, why are you paying $2 for a click? Yeah. You're barely making anything you know, on that, right? Well, yeah. Or you're, or you're losing money. I yeah. mean, you're off selling, you're selling blood to try and offset your Amazon costs. You know, <laughs> something's wrong with that equation. <laughs> Yeah, that's craziness, man. Well, hey, there, there was something other. It's, it's kind of random, but not. And uh, I wanted to put this on your radar because I think it could be an interesting conversation. Uh, I recently watched The Night Clerk on Netflix. And I don't know if you know it. Do you know anything about the movie? I, I do. And here's the thing. You know, we, we've got a toddler um, and we're very we, we limit television as much as we possibly can. Um, so right now, our TV is pretty much tuned to something called Stinky and Dirty, which is a, like an animated computer car cartoon thing. Like no matter what we put on, if I put on the news for, for three minutes, my daughter's like, Dada, how about Stinky Dirty? And, and you know, we immediately have to switch it over to that. So my wife and I sit down after the, um, she goes to bed. Um, we watch probably about maybe 30 minutes to an hour of television every night. Right now, we're, we're burning through um, Better Call Saul, yeah. um, which, is, which is awesome. Yeah. And we both love Breaking Bad. And now we're, I think, on season four. And I don't know how many seasons are out there but I think we're getting close to the end there. Um, and we've got in our, our house, we've got a home theater that we built out and it's probably like 80% done. Like the screen is up, the projectors up, the speakers are up, um, but we've got no furniture because of the virus. Like they're not delivering anything. Um, so it's like this tease at the end of the house. And I've got this long list of TV shows and movies that I'm like, I really want to watch on the, you know, so we've got like a 10 foot screen in there. Like I want to watch it on there. Um, and, and night clerk is, is one of those. It, it looks awesome. Um, but I, I'm trying to, to save it for, for that. Yeah. But, so have you seen it? Yeah, well, I, what was fascinating to me is, you know, it's a, it's a very good crime drama murder mystery, but uh, the protagonist is uh, is an Aspie, and and oh. that's and that's a really it, like it really matters. It's not sort of a token role; like it it really factors into the storytelling. So I, I would be really curious to hear what your what your opinions are after you watch it, because I th you know 
obviously you're going to have some very personal opinions yeah, about it, but yeah. A lot of times they're way off base on, you know, cause they, they basically look up the definition of Aspie and then they throw, you know, let's, let's say there's 50 characteristics listed there. They throw all 50 into that one particular person. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, but I've seen it done pretty well on, on television before, so it can, it could be hit or miss, but yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to watching that one. Um, I'm watching something called the reckoning right now on, on Netflix. I've been going through that and that's, that's pretty good. Um, and I recently just watched, um, uh, it was a, a Patterson show about, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the top, his name now off the top of my head. The, the guy who just killed himself, um, down in Florida. Oh, uh, Epstein? Uh, Epstein. Yeah. It was like a limited, you know, like four or five episode run that, that Patterson did. And that was really good too. Yeah. Uh, and Netflix is awesome. There, there's yeah. always something good to watch on Netflix. Yeah, for sure. I, I recently finished Ozark and uh, I absolutely oh, yeah. love that show. It's so good. <laughs> it, it's done very well, but like my, my stomach is literally in a knot when I watch that because I feel like I'm in as much trouble as the Jason yes! character. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel like I got to get my family out of this mess. And I guess <laughs> I, I, it says a lot about the show, but I've literally woke up in the middle of the night, you know, like thinking we got to pack the bags and run. And yeah, like, right. oh, wait a minute. That, Check that's, the accounts. That's them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's them. Um, I, I love the, the girl on there on um, the, the one with the, the like curly uh, blonde hair. Yeah. Um, I, I'm terrible with names, but she, she's fantastic. And she was just in another um, show about Waco without the accent. Yes. So I almost didn't realize it was even her. Um, she's, she's a really good actress though. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Both those, she's very strong in both those roles. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So who do we have on today? So today we have my friend Honoré Quarter. Uh, this is going to be fun because Honoré is, uh, she's really accomplished. She's, uh, she's got 40 or 50 books out, but, um, they're all nonfiction. And, uh, and so I'm really curious to hear, you know, how she approaches, uh, really the business side. You know, we, we've had a lot of fiction writers on and some fiction writers write nonfiction, but Honoré is, is really sort of mostly a nonfiction author. So I think it's going to be a, a kind of a different conversation and a different perspective from some of our other guests. Yeah. I on, nonfiction is definitely a great revenue source, um, and there, you can really branch out to a lot of different things from from writing nonfiction, whether it's speaking engagements or uh, television programs, um, the news channels, things like that. There, there's a million different ways to branch out that you can't do with fiction. Um, I've tried it, but honestly, for me, it feels almost like doing homework. Like it's <laughs> it, it, write, writing a nonfiction book is like work, and writing a fiction book is just fun. Yeah, um, I can see that. So, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. But yeah, nice, nice strong catalog of nonfiction. You know, it's it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah, great. So I think, uh, yeah, let's get into the conversation and we'll come back and, uh, and talk about what she said. I thought a great place to start would be to ask you to uh, name all the titles of your books. Go. Uh, vision to reality, <laughs> business dating. Um, that's, and then 50 that's more. All the Miracle Morning book series, Successful Single Mom Times Six, Successful Single Dad, If Divorce is a Game, These Are the Rules, The Divorced Phoenix. Like, they're all my children. I should be able to name them, right? Isn't that like well, I'm you did a pretty moment. well? You did pretty Thank well. You. I mean, that, that was you. impressive. I, the, the joke there is that you have a lot of books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do have, I, I apparently have some words. <laughs> what's what's your average like what's your what's your yearly average uh for books i've done between three and ten a year since okay. 2004 yeah so you have quite a yeah. nice back catalog built up there i do yes yeah. and i always say don't shoot the messenger when people ask me the best marketing ideas one of them is to write and publish another book and usually it's while we're talking about them thinking about or in the process of writing their first book. So they're like, um, I think I might cut you. <laughs> I'm like, I said, don't shoot or cut the messenger. I'm just, you asked for my advice. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> yeah. It seems daunting, doesn't it? When you look at someone who has dozens and dozens of books and they say, well, just write the next book. And you're like, still, still working on that first yeah. manuscript. That's, that's tough. Yeah. Yes. No one said that to me. And I always couch it with it's one sentence at a time one sentence based on one book idea based on one paragraph one chapter one thing at a time well let's yeah. let's zoom down then uh sure. what does your day look like like do you have a routine do you have a do you have a typical day and so what's that look like i have a typical day template and then 
the wheels can come off. <laughs> the wheels can come off the template fairly easily, which is why I think what you're getting at is how do I how do I do all of that, right? How do I have the consistency? Con the consistency to produce like that, yes, exactly. Yes. So I um, get up at the same time every morning. I have morning practices that put me in a peak state. And then I have the butt in seat strategy, which says even if I, when I feel like it, great. And when I don't feel like it, great. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and then I write, I have conditioned myself based on the belief that when I sit down to write the words flow from my fingertips. And sometimes it is easier than others. Sometimes I am more well-rested, hydrated, caffeinated, meditated than others. <laughs> Nevertheless, the way, the way to is the way through, right? Is I just sit down and have that conversation with myself. Sometimes like, I really don't want to do this. And I've already done this. And you have all those books. And why do you have to keep doing it? And it's like, just shut up and sit down and start writing. <laughs> and then, and then in an hour. So, so at, at one hour later, I have a one hour writing period. One hour later than I am finished. So there's no excuses, no surfing, no text messaging, no emailing, no distractions. It is head down, fingers on the keyboard, and I'm writing. Mm. So you have your, what, what, what is your most uh, prioritized activity? You have that taken care of pretty early in the day. Yes, it is. With, I start it within an hour and a half of waking up. Okay. Uh, and if, if you, or when you, I should say, cause you do, yeah. when you reach that carrot and, uh, and you've accomplished that, uh, what's next? Is there, is there sort of an afternoon procedure or do you kind of just go with the flow on that? Well, so I'm done by 7am with the writing and then I generally don't write again all day. It's a luxury to be able to write. So I have other things that I want to do. And then I have all of the distractions that one would have. So husband, child, furry children, um, I have clients, I have meetings, I have obligations, I serve on a board, right? So they're just all of the other things that have to get done. And if I weren't to rise and get myself into the right space, then I would not write. And then it would never happen, honestly, because by the time I'm finished doing all of the things that are supposedly important, which they all are in the moment. Like, oh, well, I have a podcast interview. I'm going to do, right? This is very important, right? By the time I'm done with that, if I were to then say, oh, I'm going to write at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., <laughs> I would not do that. Now, some people, that's how they're wired. They like the go to work, do their thing, have their day, and then sit down to write. By the time it's the end of the day, I just want to have a cup of tea and, and read a book and go to bed. Yeah. You know, yeah. in, in the prosperous writer, you talk about a lot about uh, sort of not believing in writer's block. Uh, so, so what yeah. do, what do you say to a client or a friend who says, "No, it's real"? Like I sat down and I just couldn't get any words. Well, I think that they probably sat down from a a non prepared place. They probably, in my in my opinion, I'm one person, so I'm one opinion, and it could I might be wrong right? We're just going <laughs> to leave that open. So for the haters out there, I'm saying I could be wrong. However, um, if they have done their homework, if they've done their preparation, then when it's time to sit down and write, they would then be able to write. But if you're, if I were to just say, I'm going to sit down and write a story and then put my fingers on the keyboards because I am not someone who just writes a story I would probably say, oh, I have writer's block because that's a thing. I've heard that's a thing. So let me say that. And other yeah. people go, yeah, that's a thing. However, um, I have found that preparation um, meets opportunity when we would call that luck. When and, are you, and when are you preparing for the words you're going to craft first thing in the morning? Are you doing that the night before or during the afternoon, the day before? I have another block of time for ah, that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I block out times. I'm, and you, you and I've talked about this because you're one of my, um, my magical guides, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, writing fiction. And I don't just ever sit down and just write the words. I do the preparation. So I am reading craft books and I am following the methodology of 
crafting my character bibles and doing the backstory and writing my tropes and seeing you know my scene summaries and those sorts of things so as I am sitting down to write gee guess what more is occurring to me than when I was just trying to purely pants it yes Excellent. Yes. Yes. Uh, somewhat related question and uh, one that I, I'm personally interested in. Uh, okay. are, are you willing to tell us a little bit about the fiction project you're working on right now? Yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah. What do you want to know? Well, tell us about it. Give us, tell, give us um, the, the synopsis, the, the genre. Uh, genre is um, page turning, throat gripping thriller. Although <laughs> I, I think I just made that up, but thriller. It works. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, along the lines of a behind closed doors, BA Paris or anything Harlan Cohen, right? Where you're just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Um, I have a, a series set in Nashville. Uh, a thriller writer is new to Nashville and she has um, incensed someone with her arrival and her good favor. And so that someone has determined that they are going to uh, get rid of her. Aha. Uh -huh. In a creative way that also eliminates one of their other problems simultaneously. Yes. All right. Yes. I can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it is so much fun because I have, um, along the lines of being a more plotter than pantser, Right. So I decided to lean more toward the plotter side. I have engaged a police detective of 33 years who is I'm consulting with him on procedures. And then I have a business attorney who has a, a bit of a criminal uh, law background. So he's able to consult with me on things of that nature. And then lots of people seem to be interested in me writing a thriller series set in Nashville that I meet <laughs> and they want in on the fun. So they want me to kill someone that they have named that's irritated them, or they want me to, you know, use a setting that I, you know, I asked, where would I have this happen? And they're like, oh my gosh. And then they let me. So it's really fun to kind of weave in the real with the, the imagined. Yeah. I'm having a wonderful time. I'm having a wonderful time. Yeah. And I'm hoping it's not terrible, but ultimately I'm having such a great time. I do not care. Good. That's the best attitude to have, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ultimately, I have maybe some other things to fall back on, but I'm really having a wonderful time. And um, you, you've always struck me as a person with a really strong work ethic and, uh, and always sort of uh, being prepared and uh, in, in everything you do. So I'm not surprised that's the approach <laughs> you have with the, with the thriller. I know. <laughs> it's not sexy at all. It's admirable. I mean, it... uh, okay. What? Ooh. <laughs> okay. We'll go for admirable, but, um, but it works. It's working. Mm -hmm. It seems to be working for me. It feels very good. And I, again, I'm having a wonderful time and I feel very lucky to, to be able to devote the time to it. Oh, it's working for you on, on many levels. Uh, I, I'd love yeah. to hear you talk a little bit about where, um, the single mom series came from and, and sort of how, how that evolved. Sure. So the um, the successful single mom series was um, born from watching an Oprah show. And Oprah, when she had her every day at four o'clock show, would occasionally do makeover shows. And one day, as I am in my house that I bought myself in a very nice neighborhood, I was cooking the chicken and as a single mom. And Oprah does this makeover and she is bringing out this woman and she says, you know, this is Diane and she's 43 and she's a single mom. And I think before, and I actually now know the post producer for the Oprah show who did this particular show, which is an interesting turn of events. But yeah. I said, do uh, my, my thought is that right before they take this picture, they say, look as pathetic as possible. So they don't just take a before picture. They take a before where they've, kind of engineered the person to look not happy, shabby, schlumpy, the yeah. whole thing. So um, the woman comes out and Oprah says, oh, you know, poor Diane, bless her heart. Of course, she's a schlump and dinkishing. She's a single mom. And I was like, I'm a single mom. I'm crushing it. What do you mean? Why is that the foregone conclusion? And then as I thought about it more, I thought, why is it that single moms are thought of to be Schlumpadinkas, what's that about? And then I started doing more research and I talked to my now husband, 
then I don't know if we were on fianced at that time, but we were together. And I said, what about, and he said, you should write a book about that. That's a really good topic. So I worked with some single moms and wrote the first book and it ultimately became the single mom, the successful single mom book series with six in the series. Excellent. Yeah. It, it, um, do you, would you say that's probably one of the, one of your most well-known series of, of your nonfiction stuff? Um, I would probably say that um, the Miracle Morning has the, so I've told, I've sold a total of 4 million books total. So my own 52 uh, books and um, 14 of the Miracle Morning series, which has sold its own 2 million. So mm-hmm. 4 million total, but 2 million of the Miracle Morning series and translated into many, con- into many uh, foreign uh, deals. And so I would say mostly the Miracle Morning stuff. Um, but the single mom series is, has by itself done half a million. Wow. That's fantastic. Uh, sold half a million copies in all different iterations. Yeah. So I, you know what? It's interesting, Jay, because I ask people when they reach out to me, how did you hear about me? And it's all across the board. I heard you talk on a podcast. I heard about you through someone, through recommendation. I read the single mom book because I read one of the divorce books and then I read vision to reality. And then I found you must write a book. So it's, or, or they read prosperity for writers because I spoke at a writer's conference and then they were like, well, who is this person? Does she even know what she's talking about? And then they were, well, maybe, (laughs) (laughs) maybe a little. So what, what do you think that means as far as your uh, approach to your business? I mean, given that feedback, <laughs> like how, how, what do you do with that? Um, well, so the, what I have done and the advice I give are different. Um, oh, if, okay. I, if I had it to do over again, I would have been much more intentional and purposeful where I was coming from was a place of following my passion. So is that good or bad? We don't know. Right. Um, I think it's good in that I've been able to follow the yellow brick road, right? The breadcrumbs like, Oh, I feel like writing this. I wrote a book on divorce. And then Amy Teagan said, you need to write a book called the divorce Phoenix. And I said, did you just give me a book to write? (laughs) And then I published that book. And that book has really been a wonderful um, entree into some um, large book book purchases kind of thing. Right. Um, But the advice that I give people is to pick a horse and ride it and to crush it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. I wouldn't have gone write the single mom book and then write a couple of books on business and then decide to go write more single mom books and then turn that into a certification and then go over here and go over there. I would have, I advise people to pick something and then crush it to own that space. Well, that sounds direct path. Yeah. I mean, that sounds exactly like what you and Hal have done with the miracle morning. Uh, do you think that manifested there in that series? Oh, well, yes. So, so the partnering with Hal in the miracle morning series, um, was very much, is very much part-time in that up until the most recent book, the miracle morning for teachers, I, I did not write any of those books. Now that's not true. I ghost wrote two of the books, but I'm not a ghost writer. So don't tell anyone. (laughs) Don't worry. No one's ever going to hear this. Well, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Well, there are a lot of people that say, are you a ghost writer? Can you ghost write my book? And my immediate reaction is no, because I think being a ghost writer is a very specific um, set of mad skills and you have to not have a loud writing voice. You have to be able to oh, channel yeah. someone else's voice, right? And I have a loud writing voice, <laughs> loud parentheses writing <laughs> voice. Anyway, um, so I don't go straight for a living, right? So I, I wrote two of those, but the rest of them, I actually was the guide, Sherpa producer, cat herder, um, handler of all the things. Um, so that the books could be crafted, written, published, launched, and marketed. And right. So that was my role in the business, which if you're not the author and you're just quarterbacking between editors and proofreaders and graphic designers, and you're handling all of that, there's a lot less time involved, especially when you work from a process, which I do. Yeah. It's a different skill set. I mean, you're a project manager in that role, which is daunting. But if you, like you said, if you have a process or a system, 
then then you can just kind of slide those things into wherever they belong. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, the last time we talked, you you were uh, you were saying that the Miracle Morning for teachers might be the last one for a while. Is that still the case? It is. It is. Hal has been dealing with cancer and some of the fallout personally and professionally from handling that health challenge. And so we didn't have books in the queue after teachers and teachers is out and we don't have any books in the queue. So if we decided to put a book in the queue, which Hal has decided to take a sabbatical uh, for 2020, if we had a book in the queue, it would be 12 months out. So we're at least two years out from another Miracle Morning book. Okay, so you're not it's it's not a it's not a done deal though. I, it, there could be more. It just won't be in the near future. Never say never. Yeah, I just watched the ninth Star Wars movie. So, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that, Honoré. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I the popcorn I, was good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think we're kind of the same generation. Like, I still think of Star yeah. Wars as uh, as that movie that came out in 1977. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. My husband and I were like, "Where were we when we saw it?" Yeah. Right. In yeah. a drive. In a drive-in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where you put the little sound thing in, inside of your car so you can hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were the days, Jay. Those were the days. But these are <laughs> these are the new days. Uh, right. Sure. Okay. I'd love to know, um, you know, given you've, you have, you, you're such a prolific writer and, and you have such a great business sense. What is your advice or what do you tell people today about the purpose of a book? And I think I'm talking more nonfiction than fiction for this oh, question. Sure. Sure. The purpose of a book is to remove all doubt that you are the expert, that you are the authority in your area of expertise. Every expert has one thing in common, and that is that they have a book. So I would, I would have to then, if I extrapolate that out, I would have to think if you have any intentions on a speaking career or Correct. podcasting or media appearances, you, you almost have to have that book is what you're saying. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, you don't have to, but it sure does do a lot of wonderful things for you, like help you to charge more and to get into places where you might otherwise not be able to get. And that includes in front of people who immediately give you props when you're an author. Now, you and I are authors and we're authors multiple times. And so we're like, yeah, okay, I published another book. And it is without fanfare. I don't even go out to dinner. Anymore. Uh, yeah, it's just start the next one, right? <laughs> right. It's well, the next one's already on the heels, right? Yes. So I will for the first fiction book. I'm going to throw a big party and you know have cake and the whole you know like I did with the first couple. But then after a while, you're kind of like, okay, big deal. We live in this very small microcosm of the universe of people who write and publish books. The rest of the world, I mean, my neighbors. They're like, okay, you're home all the time. You're walking the dog. Sometimes you look like you're dressed up. Sometimes you look homeless. What do you do? Yes. <laughs> right? The minute I say I'm an author, they're like, oh my gosh, what have you written? I actually had one guy the other day. He got a, he was young. He was like snarky. He's like, well, have you ever hit a bestseller list? And I was like, actually, yes. <laughs> he was like, oh, you're a writer. That's so cute, Peanut. I was like, oh no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> Right? Uh, he has no idea yeah. the level of hustle you, you're involved in, right? Right. Well, well, but you know, when you look homeless, people don't take you seriously, which is <laughs> part of the part of the joy, right? Is I don't actually have to shower; I choose to. Anyway, um, I, being an author for a professional does allow for higher fees, easier access to clients, faster closing of the clients. All I have to do is pull out a book and hand it to them, and go, "How do I know you're the expert on writing and publishing a nonfiction book?" And I hand them you must write a book. And then it says, and she's the author of this many other books and she does these things and this is her website and this is who she's worked for. And then all of a sudden, and it's not about me, right? This is about the person who's thinking, should I write and publish that book? You go, oh, wait a minute. Now I understand that what is happening to me and with me right now, as I'm talking to this person could happen between me and my prospective client. Nice, yes. How, and how I want you, that. Yeah. I want that interaction between I want that to happen when I am marketing to other people. What defines a book these days? Well, that's an interesting question. Ask it a different way. That's well, a, um, you know, if, if uh, I, I heard the term, you know, business around the book. And let's say you're someone who 
maybe you're a fiction writer, but you want to start some type of side business and you want to write a nonfiction book. Are, you know, are you looking at, is it a 20,000 word book? Is it an 80,000 word book? Are there any sort of parameters around that as far as credibility goes? I don't like to should on people. <laughs> you should do this and you should do that. Um, I define a book when I'm when I'm working with someone. I I say two things. One, a nonfiction book is generally between thirty and seventy thousand words. My shortest book is eleven thousand words, and then some of the Miracle Morning books are upwards of eighty or ninety thousand words. Wherever you fall in there goes to point number two, which is say what you need to say. Say it in the way that you need to say it with the least amount and most amount of stories and anecdotes and backup information that you need to say. And then when you're done, don't say a whole bunch more because you feel like you need to have a thicker book. You're an author when you're an author. However, if you're, if you're not, if the book isn't titled correctly, or you say you will be rich and then all you're doing is selling the course or the consulting or the coaching and you're not solving the problem, then the book isn't long enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, if the book is too long, then people may not read it. Yeah. Right. There's that side of it too, which is like right. this book is 300 pages. Interestingly, I love the bullet journal. And as part of my mastermind, I send everybody bullet journals and the bullet journal method book, which is this thick. And I had someone the first year who didn't read the book or use the journal because she was like, the book was 300 pages. Uh. It's a blank book. What, what am I supposed to do with it? Like the bullet journal is a blank book that you customize, right? So she was like, one, two, three, mini, I'm out. My head exploded. <laughs> so now she's like, I read the book and it's amazing. And I'm like, what? The bullet journal? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> that's amazing. I've never heard of that before. But there is a perception of if there's too much, that too much is too much, right? And so, not yeah. enough. It can be not enough. And and again, it it's your book. You get to decide how many words are in it when you've said what you needed to say, not too little and not too much. Mm. So just right is just right according to you. And if you have completed the arc and you've solved the reader's problem, which is what a nonfiction book is, you're either solving a problem or helping them capitalize on an opportunity or both. If you've done that in your book and you can do that in 11,000 words, then you get a high five and a smack on the bum because you did it in 11,000 words and I get to learn this quickly. But if it takes you 80,000 words to complete the circle, then do that. So no, no holding back. And, and, and I think I, I know what you're going to say this, but I have to bring it up because I've, okay. I, I read a lot of self-help and productivity books and every once in a while I come across one and the entire book is holding back. It's a, it's a lead generator. Yep. It's an upsell and, and it, and it's just dishonorable. And I, I, I so I know what you're going to say about that, but yes. how, how do you, how do you avoid that? How do you counsel people away from that technique, which seems on the surface to really it could be lucrative if you do it right. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. So I, I'm going to say I like your word of dishonorable there. Um, I think if you if you're holding back because you're trying to do the upsell, then you haven't convinced the reader that you actually know what you're talking about. And you probably are losing more than you're getting. Hashtag karma. <laughs> 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 but also... Um, here's the thing. When I wrote, you must write a book, I put everything into that book. And then of course I have this course that is a four figure course. It's quite pricey. And people go, what's the difference between the book and the course? Well, the book is everything I can tell you without actually talking to you. The course allows me the time and the space and the conversation to answer every nook and cranny of the process. But you can write and publish and launch and market your book with the information contained in my book. And it's either free or 99 cents or $7.99 or $17.99, depending on where you buy it and how you buy it. And you can do that. And it would have been a disservice for me to go, well, if you'd like to market with your book. <laughs> yeah, click on this link. and <laughs> Info at honoratequarter.com, right? So it would have been unfair to the person who and I've been this person could afford 99 cents or 7.99 because there was a time, I think we've all had the time when $20 made all the difference, when $20 right. filled up our car and bought us dinner. So I haven't forgotten that time, 
I have an option for that person. And it is a whole complete circle. They follow the instructions. They are going to be good to go. I, I include all the bonuses and everything that they could use in there. But if they can afford more, then I can go deeper with them in whatever way that is, right? They, they yep. can do the course, they can do one-on-one, -on -one, those sorts of things. I provide those options. But if all I ever did was a lead gen where I was holding back, like, well, if you want the real information, then you have to hire me, then that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. And I never fail to answer someone's question if I have the opportunity to answer their question. Sometimes I get though, well, you know, how do I put together a marketing plan for my book? Like as a, a Facebook message? Yes. And I'm but that is in a two or three sentence answer. I'm not able to do that justice. Right. So right. sometimes the question is not, it's much more simple to ask than it is to answer. Yeah. But for the most part, if I'm able to answer a question, I'm going to answer the question. It doesn't hurt me in any way. And all it does is add value to someone else. Yeah. So. Lovely. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as, as we kind of wrap up the conversation, I have a, a maybe a, a sort of a far reaching question for you and you can answer it however you want. But, uh, okay. you're, you're a veteran of the industry. You've been around a long time. Where's the publishing industry going in your opinion? Oh, I love that question. Um, so I think we have been through and are possibly still in the tunnel of there's indie publishing, self-publishing right on one side. And on the other side, there is traditional publishing and right in the middle are companies where you pay to play that, in my opinion, provide an okay service. So they're charging a lot of money to make you an author, but there's really no, um, there's nothing special about what they provide. They're not providing the care and concern. That's just my opinion. And so this is nonfiction, but I think fiction is rolled into this. Okay. I think eventually, I think it will just be publishing. Yeah. I think it will just be publishing. I think that the folks who are holding on tight to, we make the list, we make the rules, we decide all of the things, and yet they're holding on to sand, which is falling through their fingers, right? I think those folks will um, eventually come around. And I actually have am seeing that happen real time. So I have made friends with folks who have for a long time sat on the throne of traditional publishing and they have walked me through their process of first we had meetings because we hated self-publishers and then we had meetings because we hated them and we were wondering why they were successful and then we had meetings about how we could turn them into traditionally published authors and then we turned them into hybrid authors so that we could have a piece of their pie because we don't know what the heck they're doing and they're crushing us. <laughs> Right. So there's there's a transition that's taking place even right now today as we're having this conversation. I think ultimately what will happen is we will just have publishing like we just have music. No one really knows or cares where it comes from as long as it's well done, as long as it's pro professionally produced and it's a fun read or a happy read or a successful read for the reader. That's a great answer. But the flip side to that, and this is something I think about a lot, is the democratization of the process means, just like in music, anybody can write a book. And, and yeah. so when you had the gatekeepers, at yeah. least there were there was sort of a limited supply of this entertainment. And now it's like, you know, KDP has got millions and millions of books. Like, how does that factor in? Is that sort of the maybe the hidden dark side of, of where we are right now? I think the wheat will be separated from the chaff, right? I think the people that are doing it right and who care and are learning about craft and learning about professionally putting the, putting the fine point on it, those are the ones that will stay in it because just like I can't pay my bills with um, barter. <laughs> right? Not anymore. If you're, yeah, if you were, yeah, those days are over. Those were the seventies, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean, it was just like when there was ABC, NBC and CBS. Remember when they brought out Fox and they had four shows and they were on repeat all of the time and everybody was freaking out. It's like now I was telling my daughter the other night that everybody used to watch the same shows. Yeah. At the same time. Right. At the same time. The, you, the, 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 population at large was sitting and watching the television at the same time, the same shows all the time. And now people can go, well, I don't like game of Thrones. I'm watching, you know, whatever. 
right, in, in four languages. I mean, there's unlimited availability. And yet, if you aren't doing it well, people will not buy it. And if people will not buy it, you will not end up doing anything other than going back to your job. All right. That was Honoré Quarter. So what'd you think? <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my head around the ninth Star Wars movie. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, in, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I, you know, I remember the first one coming out. I, I was six uh, yeah. when it came out in 77. Um, I remember going to the movies with my neighbor. Um, his mom took us. Same um, here. It was one of it was one of those theaters where you know they they only showed one movie. It was one of those old school theaters that had the big balcony and all that in there, and and you had to wait for Star Wars was um, the first movie where I had to stand in line. Like I think um, for Empire Strikes Back, we had to wait through like three showings just standing outside before we could even get in. Um, and, and I I've honestly got really fond memories of that. And yeah, like, I, the, the new ones, you know, yeah, it's okay, but. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not those. Uh, I, I, you know what I really wanted you to ask her and it, it didn't come up. Like I, I was looking at her books, almost all of her Kindle books are priced at nine ninety seven, not, oh. not nine ninety nine, not nine ninety five. Like I was just curious how she, she landed on that, that particular price. Um, that cause I, I know Amazon, yeah, Amazon's got a tool for that kind of thing. Um, you know, where they, they'll suggest the best possible price for your book. Um, but I, I don't know if she used that or if this is just something that, that she put out there. Um, and just her take on just the, the, you know, the different methods of publishing, whether it's indie or traditional or vanity presses in the middle. Um, I think she was very much on, on, you know, the same level or the same thought pattern that, that you and I are a lot of the people that I talk to, uh, that it's just kind of all merging together and becoming just publishing. Right. Um, you know, it's, and it's going to come down to just the quality of the product. That's really what's going to you know, cause something to stand out, not necessarily who, who put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I was really kind of, uh, I, I don't know. I shouldn't have been surprised knowing who she, who she is, but like getting your words done by 7am, man, like <laughs> what a win that is, right? Like if you're getting your words done that early, the whole rest of the day just feels like gravy. Yeah. I, I tried it before when I was working the day job, you know, I, I tried writing after work, um, for a while. Um, and then I also tried getting up early and I would get up at about five and write before I left for the office. Um, and, and it is cool that like I'm more productive in the morning. So if that works for you, you know, you should definitely do it. I, I know after watching that masterclass, Dan Brown uh, starts writing at four thirty in the morning. <laughs> um, I thought that was crazy until I moved to New Hampshire. I mean, he lives about two, two miles down the road from me and the sun is up here at four thirty in the, in the morning <laughs> in the, in the afternoon. So like it, it feels you know, like my wife has been getting up at five to work on her book and the you know, sun's already been up for a half hour. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's really all about just finding, you know, when, when is your most productive time? Um, you know, especially if you have, if you have kids or you have a day job or you have something else, you know, you've, you've got these external factors, you know, a lot of times you can get up in the morning before any of that stuff starts and you can kind of take charge of your day before all these other things kind of start yanking you in, in 50 different directions. Yep. Yeah. And I thought too, that she, you know, she, her and how Alrod have been really great about, uh, this whole idea of business around the book and sort of using the nonfiction book as uh, a calling card, as you know, a lead generator. I know that you're in the process of writing a nonfiction book. Has your publisher sort of hinted or asked you about other other tangential things you could be doing in addition to the book? Well, I already do speaking engagements. I've got a, a company that books me for those, so that would probably be my only other outlet for for something like that. Um, but you know, I, I I've got a lot of people that I know that do that, and they make a tremendous living. I mean, speaking engagements you can get anywhere from five thousand to twenty thousand dollars for talking for an hour. And uh, you know, they'll fly you in, they take care of room and board while you're there. Um, it can be very lucrative, and the, the television networks are are even better. Um, I've got an author that I just mentored on his book, and I, I don't want to call him out by name, but he lived in China for for a number of years and he currently works as a bodyguard in, in New York City so people come over from from overseas and he's a, a hired bodyguard um, and he wrote a really cool fiction book that kind of incorporates a lot of that and almost like a Jason Bourne um, you know, like novel that takes place in China um, but at the same time his knowledge base of you know Hong Kong and China and everything going on over there is you know from his perspective as a Westerner is, is huge. And, and, you know, it's, it's such a hot, a hot topic right now. Like I've been trying to get him to write a nonfiction book because even if he put something out that was fairly short, just kind of covering his experience over there, I know he could do the, the various news networks. You right. know, he, could, he could make those rounds um, and that could get him out of the day job and at least get him to the point where he's, he's writing full time. Um, you know, nonfiction books, I think, you know, you, you said, you said calling card, and I think that's probably a good way to describe it. In a lot of ways, they're, they're like your business card. Um, but you do have to, you know, nail one particular topic. I don't think you can be all across the board. You have to figure out where your passion is, you know, hone in on that and, and focus directly on that. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And sometimes that takes multiple efforts, just like in fiction. You know, you might have to write a few books to really figure out which one is connecting with the audience you want to serve. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you get an idea in your head and you're like, oh, yeah, this will be super cool. But then it, it doesn't connect with anybody. So that that's tough. It's, it's, it's hard to do. And it's I think it's hard as an author when you're writing nonfiction to be really, you know, put everything into a book and then not have it connect and, and sort of realize that and set it aside and try something else. Yeah. And it's a very competitive market right now. And it's, it's just getting, you know, more and more tight. I mean, people are, you know, they create a book, then they create a course and they create a webinar and they create a conference and like, they try to get all these different things. And yeah, that was a great model a few years ago, but now so many people are doing it. it, it you, know, you kind of need to figure out what's going to come next. Yeah. Yeah. And Honoré's got it and she's got it locked yeah. in. Uh, she's a hustler. It was a great conversation. I think there was a, a lot of interesting stuff for all writers, especially nonfiction writers. So hopefully everyone found that, uh, entertaining and fun. Yeah, absolutely. And who, who do we have on next week? So next week we have Dave Chesson. And uh, I don't know about you, JD, but I, I don't really know of anyone who knows more about the Amazon algorithm than Dave. He, uh, <laughs> he does uh, Kindlepreneur, Publisher Rocket. Uh, he recently spoke at the Career Author Summit, which happened back in May. And, uh, and, and people just were, couldn't believe how much, uh, how much he knew and how much he was sharing. Uh, he does have some contacts at Amazon, but you know they're pretty they're pretty close to the vest with a lot of their uh, their data. But uh, he has he's got an inroad there, and he kind of knows. And so when you're uh, if you're especially interested in like you know keywords and categories and and genre, if you're a fiction writer especially thinking about that stuff, you're not going to want to miss the conversation next week because Dave really knows this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear about that. And, and keywords in general, I've been toying around with because I've been playing with Amazon ads uh, quite a bit. Uh, and my best performing ads are still the ones where Amazon places them. You know, the, the ones yeah. that I manually target just don't seem to do as well, uh, and, you know, including the keywords. And I've, I've tried using Google, you know, AdWords. There's different ways to generate your keyword list. Um, so I'm really curious to hear his, his take on that. And, and and ask him why somebody would, would pay a dollar to, <laughs> to click through to, to my name. Like, why is this person paying a dollar and blocking me from getting to my own customers? Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can get to the bottom of that mystery. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right, well, to our listeners, we appreciate your support. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend or consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Until next time, have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.